if you would, turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Mark chapter 1, 14 through 20. If you are using a blue Bible from the center of the table, it is page 927. Mark 1, 14 through 20. Page 927. Next week, we will be in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 27. I'm not going to tell you where we're headed yet, but you'll figure it out in a little bit and uh, next week. Um, so this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he is beginning to call people to follow him. Say amen if Christ has called you to follow him. Amen. Amen. All right. If you would, follow along with me, beginning in verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. This really happened. This is a true story. Let's dig into it. Let's think about what it says. Let's think about what it means. Let's think about how it transforms our life. So take a few minutes, read to yourself. And when the time is right, your discussion leader will begin the discussion. All right. So a pretty simple text for us to deal with today. Really, I'm just kind of scratching the surface on some big ideas that we're going to be diving deep into in the weeks ahead. So this is this encounter with James and John and with uh, Andrew and Simon. Simon is Peter. So if I say Peter, I'm talking about Simon. But this encounter happened probably in the certainly in the first year of Jesus's ministry, most likely in the first few months but John, the, or John had recently baptized Jesus, and Jesus had been taken by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted by Satan for 40 days, and he overcame that. And now John the Baptist has been arrested. And guess why John was arrested? It's not important for the sermon, but I'm just going to say it anyway because of the days we live in. He told the king no, and he got thrown in prison. So anyway, John's in prison, and... Jesus leaves the area of Judea, which is the area where uh, Jerusalem is in. It's where a lot of Jesus' ministry takes place. But he left that area and went into Galilee, which is where he grew up in the town. Well, Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, is up there in Galilee. And Galilee is up by the Sea of Galilee. It's a couple days' walk from Jerusalem. And it's a region. Galilee is not a city, but it's a region to the west of the Sea of Galilee and kind of up towards the north. 
just a little bit. But verse 14, it says, He goes into Galilee, and He is proclaiming the Gospel of God. Now we know what Gospel means. It means good news. I, I bet there's not more than two sermons go by where I don't say that. So Gospel is good news. It is a huge idea. It's a huge part of the New Testament. It's a huge thing that we really can't forget. And Jesus came proclaiming this good news. And I want to say from the start that this is news. This is what is actually happening. You know, it rained yesterday. That's news. It's a fact it is objective. It is verifiable. It, you know, you can debate the news, yeah, and you can certainly debate interpretations of the news, but there's certain parts about the news that no matter what you, you, you do, it can't be denied. It's what actually happened. You can watch Fox News and you can watch CNN, and they're going to have two different interpretations of an event but they will be in a lot of agreement, usually, on what actually happened. And so there's just, you know, when you're reporting news, it's about what is happening or what did happen. And news is not suggestions. It's not self-help. It's not, hey, I think you should do this. No, that, that, that's a suggestion or instruction. But news is not instruction. It's not advice. This happened and it doesn't matter how you respond to it. That's what news is. This happened and there's nothing you can do to undo that. Or this is happening and there's nothing you can do to keep it from happening. So the gospel of God it is what God is doing. It is from God, and it is about God. And He came proclaiming it. Y'all, there's no such thing as a quiet Jesus. Were there seasons of His ministry where He was quiet? Yes, there was. But overall, Jesus had a message, and He came to say it. There's no such thing as a quiet Jesus. There is no such thing as a quiet Christianity. The Lord Jesus Christ is just that. He is the Lord. And He speaks to every corner of creation. And His message is for everyone. So in verse 15, we see what this good news is. We see the content of the message. We see what the gospel is. Is Verse 15 begins by saying that the time is fulfilled. See, we today know that God has an appointed time for the second coming, right? We look forward to that. We know He's already figured it out, and we don't know when it is. The same was true for the first coming. So the time was fulfilled. The time was fulfilled for what? For the kingdom of God to arrive. Now, it doesn't say it's arrived, but it says the kingdom of God is at hand. But shortly after this, there's things that Jesus teaches. It's arriving now. We know that. 
So the kingdom of God is at hand. And a king, dumb, is wherever the king's in charge. It's wherever his authority and his rule extends to. I have my own little kingdom on my property, right? I have authority over what takes place there. But I can't decide to go to your house and cut down your tree because I don't like it, right? That is outside of my kingdom. And, And so... You know, that's how it works with normal kings. They have boundaries to their rule. They have boundaries. There is an end to their authority. But we know Revelation 1.5, it says that Jesus Christ is the ruler of kings on earth. We know Psalm 72 that we've been looking at for the last few weeks. It said that he was the Lord of lords. So there is no end to this particular kingdom that is Christ's kingdom. That is God's kingdom. So Jesus is the king. And so when he shows up, it is right that he is announcing its coming. And he says it's at hand. Okay? You know, election season is at hand, right? <laughs> We're all hearing about it. Blah, 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 blah. It is near. It is upon us. But when something is near, it might mean physical proximity, okay? Some of you live 20 or 25 minutes away from me. And then some of you, well, one of you lives 50 feet from me. So there's a nearness that is in Jesus' mind here. The kingdom of God is near. It's not something you have to wait three more generations for. No, you just watch. Jesus is telling them that the king is here. And this kingdom, it was a big part of our discussion at our table. They've been waiting for this kingdom. They've been expecting a king. The prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 2 verse 44, he says, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It'll break into pieces all the other kingdoms and it will stand forever. And later on in Jesus' ministry, he would say about the kingdom that the kingdom starts off the size of a mustard seed. But when it's full grown, it is the biggest tree in all of the garden. And so, this is important. One of the prayers that we pray often is your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so jesus was the king and he was there but he was teaching them to pray your kingdom come and why is that it's because at that time during jesus's ministry and the same is true today the kingdom is already here but it's not here yet throughout the bible There is this tension. It's already present, but not fully present. Have you ever been trying to have a conversation with someone, and they're there, but they're not completely there, and then all of a sudden they realize, hey, this is an important conversation, and then they're focused, right? So they're there, but they're not there yet, and eventually they get there, right? And that's how it is between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. He's here. 
His authority is present, but he's not fully. His rule and his reign is not fully evident and visible. So we see this with his kingdom. And at the end of verse 15, the end of this gospel message is repent and believe in the gospel. So the good news is that the kingdom of God is near. You don't have to wait anymore, he's telling them. And then there's commands. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus was telling people what to do. The good news about God requires that people be told what they must do. We don't like telling people what to do, right? Okay? But as Christians, as people with the good news, we're not giving people advice. We're not giving people suggestions. We are speaking the commands of God that all people everywhere must repent and believe. The days of a timid church must be over. So this command to repent. What is repentance? Repentance is a change of mind that takes place inside of a person that leads to change on the outside. And true repentance of God, the repentance that goes along with true faith, is always brought about by God's Holy Spirit. So repentance is a spirit-wrought change of mind. It leads to a turning point in your life. You think differently, you have a new mind, and thus you live differently. So that was the first command, was to repent. The second command was to believe. True biblical faith is more than just head knowledge. But it has to do with very loyal trust. How many of you have overseen a crew of employees? Or maybe you've led a team to do something. And some of the people were with you, but not really with you. And then there were some people who were really, really with you. The people who were with you but weren't really with you, they acknowledged you were there, but they weren't really with you. That's not biblical faith. But the people who were with you and were really, really with you, the people who trusted you, that is biblical faith. So these two verses are the big picture of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And when we get to verse 16, we see two very specific encounters that Jesus had with four men. And these four men would eventually become four of his 12 disciples. If you look at John chapter 1, it's pretty clear that Simon, Peter, and Andrew had already met Jesus. They had already had at least one encounter with him. They already knew about him. I got a feeling James and John probably already knew some things about him because Jesus was coming into a public setting with a public message. He was probably, he may have already been a bit of a celebrity by this time. And so not that Jesus is a celebrity, but for a time, people kind of treated him like one. And so looking at verses 16 and 20, we've got Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. They're fishermen. We've got James and John. They're fishermen also. And Jesus says, by the Sea of Galilee, these four men are at work. And Jesus issues an invitation to both of them. And I tell you, he issues 
the same invitation today to us. I do think it meant something a bit different for them than it does for us. But I think there's a ton of parallels. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And that's what we're going to focus on in the weeks ahead. So Hope Fellowship, one of the things that we say often is that God has called us to make disciples. New ones and stronger ones. If there's a mission statement for our church, that's it. And I probably should say it more than what I do. In our church constitution... That's written in there on the very first page. That God has called us to make disciples, new ones and stronger ones. Why do we do that? We believe it's a great summary statement for what it is that God wants us to actually be doing. Now there's a lot more to it than that. But in its most simplest phrase, that's what we're trying to do. We want to make disciples... We want to make new disciples. We want to make stronger disciples. This phrase is recorded in our Constitution. It drives my preaching. It drives my writing. It drives my interaction with the public outside of church. It drives my engagement with the lost world. It drives what I do on social media often. But we call everyone to follow Christ, the saint and the sinner. If you're here today and you're a child of God... Awesome. I want you to leave this place stronger today than you were when you got here. And I want you to be stronger in 2025 than you are in 2024. If you're here today and you're lost, you don't know Christ, maybe you just set them up on a shelf and you just put them on every once in a while and it does you good. You know, if that's you and you're someone who's lost in your sin, I want you to repent and believe the gospel and become a new disciple. Maybe you were a phony disciple before. But I want you to become a true disciple, a real disciple. So what is a disciple? We'll get to that in just a bit. Let's look at verse 16 and 17 and 18. Passing along, Jesus speaks to Simon, Peter, and Andrew. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed them. Y'all, they were at work. You ever been at work and your phone rings? It's like, I don't want to talk to you. I got stuff to do. Right? You're just in that mode, right? They were at work. Peter and Andrew were casting their net. James and John were repairing their nets. Are we okay with God interrupting our lives? He's the king. He can change the direction, the track, the path that we're on. That's okay. I've had it happen quite a few times. Like, I wasn't searching for a pastor job when I came up here. I was building something else and it fell apart and this is how God directed. And I'm so glad he did. It's been 10 years. I love what I get to do. I hope he doesn't change anything anytime soon. But if he does, I'll go do that instead. Are we okay with God interrupting our lives? He had a change of occupation for these four men. They're used to catching fish. Well, they're going to go catch people. 
Now, obviously, that is figurative language. But before you, I'm getting ahead of myself. First thing he said to, to Simon and uh, Andrew is follow me. This word follow comes from two words in the Greek text, which is what the New Testament was originally written in. The first word, it's not a command, but it's an interjection. What is an interjection? Have you ever been a part of a conversation and you know, you're right in the middle of your thought? This happens in my house all the time. But we don't use the word interjection, but it's what happens. You know, you're in a conversation and someone's like, well, let me interject. Like there's something really important that you need to keep in mind before you go and, uh, any further with this thought. I remember I spent three years as a manager with Starbucks before many years ago. Gosh, 12 years ago, 11 years ago probably. And I needed to step out of the store manager position. I wanted to go down to a part-time shift supervisor position. And I had something else lined up for the other part of the part-time with another, actually with our church in Tampa. And I got a meeting scheduled with my district manager there was one thing that she, she had an axe to grind with me. It was nothing big. I mean, I wasn't worried about losing my job or anything like that, but, and I still remember what it is. But there was one particular part of my store that wasn't doing well, and she wanted to, that to change, and she wanted that to change very quickly. So she had already communicated with me ahead of time like what the plan was for the meeting. So we sit down, and in typical district manager Michelle Brooks fashion, she says, like, I just know what's happened. She's not going to chew me out. She's just going to say, you know, hey, this stinks and you got to change it. So anyway, that's what she starts doing. And it was going exactly as I expected it to go. And it had happened to me before. I knew how it worked with her. She was a great boss. Um, so she's like 30 seconds in, hasn't taken a breath, hasn't even given me time to say anything. And I say, Michelle, i got to tell you something that's going to change this entire meeting. Can I share it with you? And she heard me. She's like, yeah, what is it? It's like, I don't want to be a store manager anymore. <laughs> it was an interjection. It completely changed the direction of the entire meeting. So we talked 15 more minutes, and the hour and a half long meeting turned into a 20-minute meeting. Because just, you know, she, you know, me changing that part of my store wasn't important anymore because somebody else needed to come take my job. That was an interjection. I, I, you know, and, and that's what Jesus did to these men. They were doing their thing, and Jesus says, follow me. The second Greek word that's, that is combined to make this idea of following, it's an adverb. It has to do with a place, with a location. And Jesus is saying that your location needs to be with me. You need to be near to me. You need to go where I go. You need to eat when, with me when I eat. You need to follow me around town. This was a complete change of occupation for them. And he says, I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you become. See, y'all, we realize our life is not our own. Jesus is going to make them something that they never were before. And that's what he's doing for us, too. When he says, follow me, 
When he says repent and believe the gospel, and when you repent and believe the gospel, he's going to make you something that you would not be if you did not repent and believe the gospel. Christians are weird, aren't they? We do things differently from the rest of the world because God is making us His. So Jesus is going to change them. He will change you. Why does He need to change you and I? Because there's something wrong with you. That's why. He's going to repair, restore, and heal. Christ requires that we recognize, church, we are not our own. But we are bought with a price. And as a child of God, as a Christian, we need to submit ourselves to this sanctification process where Jesus changes us, making us what he wants us to be. See, God has a plan for you. God had a plan. Jesus had a plan for these men. He's going to make them be something. When I'm going to make something, when, you know, we made food. I've used this illustration before. We had a plan, right? We had a, you know, I'm going to bring pancakes. I'm going to bring sausage gravy. I'm going to bring granola bars. Like, those granola bars didn't accidentally find their way into anybody's pocket or anybody's bag. No, you had to intentionally purchase them. And bring them here. And these men, in this story, and us, God is making us something with purpose and with intentionality and with a design and a plan in mind. You all, he's going to change them. I want you to see the connection between following him and the change. If we don't follow, he won't change us. If you aren't going to follow, let me tell you, there are so many people in your life that you wish were at church today, that you invite to come to church that aren't at church. This is their problem, okay? This probably isn't your problem. It might be. But for most of us in here, I don't think this is our problem. But here's the problem that most of the people in our lives have. We have to follow him if he's going to change us. And if you aren't going to follow him, don't be surprised if he feels far away and distant from you. See, people want him to be close, but they won't go where he is. If he is going to change anything for you, you need to follow him. If you aren't going to follow him, don't be surprised if he feels far away and distant to you. If you aren't going to follow him, don't be surprised if nothing ever changes. If you aren't going to follow him, don't be surprised when you're on your deathbed And you realize you have wasted your life and the terror of what lies on the other side is ripping your soul apart. Christ welcomes all who will come. And he loves us enough to accept us as we are. And he loves us enough 
not to let us stay the way that we were when we first started following him. Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're all going to be different because Jesus is going to work in their lives. So we get to the end of verse 17. What is he going to make them? He's going to make them fishers of men. He's going to call them out of one vocation and into another. And I believe, you know, that Jesus probably called a lot of people similar to this. But it's actually, you know, he, he calls all of his disciples to become something new and something different. But most of his disciples, he doesn't want you to just leave your job or quit your job or change your vocation. As a matter of fact, uh, the Apostle Paul handled that issue in 1 Corinthians 7 uh, where he wrote, In whatever condition you were called, there remain with God. And so, you know, we can see this story and you might be tempted to be like, well, I need to quit my job and I need to go do this and I need to go do that. Most of the people that become Christians, that's not what they are to do. One of the differences between this call that Jesus had on their lives and the call that he has on most of us is that he doesn't want us to just automatically go and change another profession because we're starting to follow him. But he wants us to follow him right where we are. In many ways, this story is a reference to their apostleship, being one of the twelve. And that will be pointed out later on in Mark chapter 3. But the thing that this story has in common with us is that Jesus says, follow me. He was physically present there. He's not physically present to us today. He is in his physical body in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He's the only physical body up there. So we can't follow him from Gatesville to Murfreesboro to Raleigh to wherever like they could. From Judea to Galilee to Samaria to whatever. But we can follow him and wherever he's working in the world and whatever plan it is that he has for us, we can go there with him and we can do the things that he wants us to do. So it says, he says he's going to make them fishers of men. I do think that's an allusion to their future, that they're going to be evangelists. They're going to be casting a wide net over large groups of people and be pulling some people into the kingdom. This doesn't mean that all of us are going to be blazing evangelists and we've got to tell people, 10 people about Jesus tomorrow or we're going to be in sin. No, I, I, I do think Fishers of Men is a job of the church as a whole, but I, I, I can't impose that part of the passage on every single individual at our church that we're all going to be Fishers of Men. No, we do that collectively together. Yes. And we should all do it at some point where we call lost people to follow Christ. We should all have those opportunities and take part in those. But I believe that verse 17 is a specific, these are specific words to specific people about the work that he has for them to do. But what we have in common with these four men is that we are disciples. We're not apostles like they were, but we are disciples. And if you look at the ministry of Jesus, he's going to have disciples all around him, not just the twelve. And if you look at the book of Acts, the Christians, they aren't called Christians until chapter 11. 
What are they called? They're called disciples. So what is a disciple? We'll get there in a bit. So how did they respond to this call? Verse 18, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Y'all, that's repentance and faith right there. I'm going to go with him because he's the king. I'm going to go with him because I trust him. And yeah, business might be going south or business might be great. It doesn't really matter because the king is here and I'm going to do what the king says. Did they twiddle their thumbs and think about it and weigh their options or did they just do it? They did it. They did it, y'all. Can we do that? Can we do that? When God says to you and I to not covet... Can we just stop coveting, knowing that all the other stuff that we don't have that we think we got to have in order for life to be happy, knowing it doesn't matter, the king is on his throne? Can, when God says, and I just got a few different commands that have came to mind that I put down on the papers here in front of me. When God says, put on the new self, will you just do that? When he says, Where's that? When he says, put to death what is carnal in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. When he says, do not lie, can we just stop those things? Or do we think that there's still something to gain if we compromise? When the king speaks, church, we say yes. When the Bible says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts. Can we begin to have compassion? When he says, put on kindness and humility, meekness and patience. When God says, bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, then forgive each other. When the Bible says put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, can we just drop that fish in that? Can we just drop that anger? Can we just drop the things that keep us from obeying God and say, yes, God, I'm not going to hold on to this anymore, but I'm going to forgive so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. And for every one person you, need, you know you need to forgive, there's at least one or two more. You know that, right? <laughs> That's what I've been learning for 20 years. So can we just let the king be the king and immediately change course when God speaks to us? Can husbands and wives follow God's word about their role in marriage? Can children... Obey and honor their parents as God requires you to. See, it's easy to look at Peter and Andrew's response and say, man, they got it, and to assume that we would do the same. But we often hold on to something for ourselves when Jesus says that all of life should be for him. They left their nets behind immediately so they could be his disciples. 
What is it that you need to leave behind so that you can be like Jesus? So we get to verses 19 and 20, last two verses. Very similar story, very similar encounter. But there's a difference. James and John had to leave their father, their co-workers, and their stuff, their family business. That's a high price to pay, isn't it? That is a high price to pay. When you come to Christ, it does change who you spend time with and who you devote yourself to. It changes what you give your life to. Is there anything that God is calling you to leave behind that you need to finally let go of? It may be a small thing. It may be a big thing. Are you fighting battles that may be good battles, but there might just be a better battle that you need to enlist in? Are there small things you're holding on to? He left the family business. They were Zebedee's apprentice. Dad's business. Yeah, I, you know, we wonder how old were James and John, right? Well, this fishing job is a very physically demanding job. Their dad's still young enough to do it. So I'm, I'm guessing James and John were 20s or 30s, maybe teenager, I don't know. I mean, Jesus was around 30 or 31 at this time. I'm guessing these young men were around the same age somewhere. This was the family business, and this is what they were going to do because that's almost always how it worked back then. They were an apprentice of their father. Their father taught them a trade. And no doubt, their father was preparing them to take over the work because the father knew, Zebedee knew, he wouldn't always be there. But now... They are an apprentice of Christ. Instead of them taking over their father's fishing business, they're going to take over the ministry of Christ because Christ is going back to heaven in a few years. He came to start the work, and now he empowers his people to do the work. What is a disciple? I've dropped that question a few times and haven't answered it yet. A disciple is an apprentice. I've shared this illustration before. I'll share it again. Sorry, Dwight. Dwight's a machinist. Did it for many, many years in Murfreesboro and probably elsewhere too before then. My younger brother, who many of you know, went to work over there. And Dwight passed on his hands-on machinist knowledge to my brother, And now my brother has a career as a machinist. Y'all spent a lot of time together, didn't you, Dwight? A lot of teaching that would take place during those times. You know, I, I, I would assume that my brother saw Dwight 
make some mistakes. I would assume that he saw Dwight do some things that my brother didn't even think possible. How did you do that? You know, and, and what may have been shocking or surprising or amazing at first eventually becomes simple, easy. A disciple is an apprentice. An apprentice would spend time with a teacher or master to become like them and do what they do. James and John are no longer going to be Zebedee's disciple, working alongside him learning the family trade. They will not continue to do the work that their father Zebedee had been doing after he dies. They are now disciples of Jesus. They will spend the next two to three years with him. They will learn from him. They will watch him. They will obey him. They will run errands for him. They will become like him. Instead of carrying on their father's work after he passes, they are going to carry on the work of Jesus after Jesus is no longer with them. They will be fishers of men. They will throw the wide net of the gospel and catch as many people as they can into the kingdom. Today is the first of five messages on biblical discipleship, and I'm just calling this series Follow Me. A disciple is a follower or apprentice of Jesus. Jesus commands us all to follow him. Don't waste another minute if you don't already follow him. Let us be a people who repent and believe the gospel of King Jesus and follow him no matter what the cost. Let's pray.